Well, it's so good to be back. Thank you for praying. We had a wonderful trip to Israel. We were the last group to get out in 2020 because of COVID. And we were one of the first groups to get back in after COVID. And we never changed our plans. So it worked out very well. And we praise the Lord for this opportunity uh, to take a return trip to that great place. It was last August when Harvard University appointed an atheist as the president of their community of chaplains. They have 30 chaplains who cover a broad range, and I use the word broad in the largest sense, a broad range of spirituality. Greg Epstein had actually been a chaplain at Harvard since 2005. He was raised Jewish, He's a devoted atheist. In 2005, he was ordained as a humanist rabbi, and that same year began to work at Harvard in that capacity. Oh, by the way, he has an MA in Judaic Studies from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I may not have mentioned that if it had been Michigan State. Epstein said this to the New York Times, there's a rising group of people who no longer identify with any religious tradition, but still experience a real need for conversation and support around what it means to be a good human and how to live an ethical life. We don't look to a God for answers, we are each other's answers. A survey taken in 2019 at Harvard by the Harvard Crimson revealed that 21% of the students identify as agnostic, 17% as atheist, and two-thirds identify as somewhat or very liberal. Now when you think about this, this is quite a departure from the original purpose of the school. Founded by the Puritans in 1636, named after a pastor, John Harvard, and the first 70 presidents of Harvard were clergymen, were pastors. The original motto at Harvard, truth for Christ and for the church. And now, an atheist leads their group of chaplains. You know, to me, that certainly sounds out of place to have an atheist leading chaplains, but not as much as it is out of place to have a practical atheist in the community of believers or in a church called evangelical. A practical atheist. You say, what is a practical atheist? A practical atheist is someone who says that they believe in God, but live as though they don't. And that really doesn't fit. If we learn anything from the book of Hebrews and especially chapter 11, it's this. That real faith must express itself in all the decisions of life. Real faith must act. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, you have in verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, his grandsons, and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. 
By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. And by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's command. All of these examples of faith are faith in the heart that flows out, issues forth in the decisions and activities of life. And now we're going to see another example, the faith of Moses. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, that says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The last time we were together, we talked about how his parents hid him And Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him in, actually had his own mother uh, nurse him until he was of age to be weaned. And then he came into the royal court and was known as Pharaoh's daughter. But when he grew up, by faith, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There was something he refused because of his faith. Think about it, this woman is, as far as we can tell, would have been a kind and caring mother. She rescued him, she educated him. I'm sure she gave him the best best that she possibly could give. The same family that condemned him to die was the family that rescued him and saved him to live. He owed a lot to the son Affair, or the daughter of Pharaoh. Tradition tells us her name was Thermusis and that she indeed was a daughter of many but distinguished herself by this unusual love much different than her father's toward the Hebrew baby. Acts chapter seven verse 22 says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action because of his Egyptian mom. He grew up as a prince with privilege, as a scholar, a soldier, a statesman, one of the royals. In fact, tradition tells us that Moses actually successfully led the armies of Egypt against their foes. Can you envision that? The commander out front is none other than Moses leading the troops of the Egyptians. But he rejected the social honors that came with being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected the royal status. And the question is, why? Why would he refuse? Notice the next verse. Verse 25 says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. There was something he refused because prior to that there was something he chose. His refusing was based on his choosing. What we have here is the secret of Moses' faith connected with a process of evaluation, of thinking and determining and regarding long before he ever acted. 
He refused to be part of the royal family because he chose to be part of God's family. And notice verse 25 says that meant mistreatment. No two families could be further apart. I mean, think of Egypt at this time. It was a remarkable civilization. Listen to the archaeologists. Look at the discoveries. It was wealthy beyond consideration. They were indeed, uh, they, they enjoyed splendor like no other nation. And Moses was at the top. He had everything that a person could want or wish for in this human world. And he traded that for mistreatment. The Hebrews, no people were more downtrodden. And the brutality that they experienced on a regular basis was beyond description. And Moses would have seen that. And it wasn't until he was 40 years old, Acts chapter 7 tells us, when he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people. That means he must have been thinking about it. He must have been evaluating who he really belonged to. You say, well, where did, where did he get that information? It must have come from the stories of his mom that she told him while he was being weaned, perhaps even up to the age of 10. He saw one of his own being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. And Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. Some pre premonition, some revelation from God that he was going to be the deliverer, but the people didn't see it. He decided to connect himself with those people. So he gave up everything to embrace almost nothing from a human standpoint. I was thinking of an example in my own life when I gave up my dancing career to go into the ministry. <laughs> I'm making it sound as amazing as it wasn't. <clears throat> I, I took one lesson in tap dancing why, you say? I'm not sure. As I go back and analyze it, uh, maybe two reasons. My dad was always admired Fred Astaire. He was trying to imitate him with dance and my son wanting his dad's approval. Probably the better reason was the class was filled with only girls. And <laughs> so I thought that would be a great place to go. One lesson, <clears throat> didn't learn much, had no ability, but I gave it all up. <laughs> that's not saying much right I mean it wasn't even a Christian then it wasn't even thinking about going into the ministry but if you put the two together it sounds a little more important but Moses gave up literally everything that this world could offer why did he choose to be part of the Hebrew family and reject his royal family Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt. Wow, what a verse. Regarded, what does that mean? Thinking, evaluating, weighing in the scales, balancing the options. Did you know that faith determines our options? 
And the lack of faith will cause us to be pressured into other decisions. Faith is vital for making proper decisions, important decisions. And he regarded because of his faith that he'd rather embrace the disgrace, which was temporary for the Hebrew people, than to enjoy the treasures of Egypt, which were also temporary. Think of this mental process that Moses went through to make a decision as bold as this. So reproach greater than treasure. Again, we ask the question, how in the world could he make such a decision? And we find in in the, the last part of verse 26, it's because he was looking ahead to his reward. So this is really all backwards. He refused something because he chose something because he saw something. But the process really went like this. He saw something, so he chose something which led him to refuse something. And that's what faith does. It's always by faith. Count how many times it says by faith he refused. By faith he chose. And by faith he saw. He looked ahead to the reward. His decision was based on spiritual vision. Write this down. Spiritual vision makes good decisions. If you can only see what this world offers, your decisions will always be low, earthy, temporary, and often disastrous. But if the beatific vision, if a vision of reality, of God, controls what you decide, you'll make good decisions. Reproach today, but reward tomorrow. Doesn't this sound a lot like verse six? The one who comes to God must believe that He is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he saw God, and he saw the reward he offered. It was Augustine who said, faith faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. There is a real world out there that most of this present world does not comprehend. And that's why the decisions are so selfish and so tragic. But when you see God and you hear his word and you see what he offers, you begin to make decisions that make no sense to people but are the best decisions you could ever make. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's Moses. So what did he see? Well, he saw what was fleeting. He saw what was temporary, the pleasures and treasures of Egypt. Jumping back to verse 25, we read this amazing phrase that he wanted to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Apparently in his princely lifestyle, and this is true, often true with many who have everything, their lifestyle is immoral because they can have whatever they want. What's the old King James? The pleasure of sin for 
a season. You know, we really are foolish when we tell our children there's no pleasure in sin. (laughs) Because the Bible says there is. Years ago, a man by the name of Gordon wrote a familiar hymn, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. That's how it's stated in many of our hymnals, but that's not how he wrote it. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the pleasures of sin I resign. But some pious soul said, we can't sing about pleasures of sin in the church. I get it. Shouldn't magnify it, but nor should we deny it. And our kids can see right through it. But mom and dad, it is fun. And I see you having fun sometimes too. But the fun that comes with sin is temporary. And oh, it packs a wallop in the end. You can't tell a person addicted to drugs that there is no high from the chemical because they know there is. But you can tell them that it will lead to their destruction. And if they cannot see beyond today someone above the fray, they'll not be able to refuse and they'll not be able to say no. Look at verse 27, by faith, Moses left Egypt. You say, when was that? When he was 40 years old and went to the backside of the Midian desert? Or was that when he led the people, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt and uh, crossed the Red Sea? And and honestly, I don't know. I, I read the debates and I agree with the one scholar who said probably both. (laughs) By faith, he left Egypt. And by faith, he led the people of God and out of Egypt. How did he do that? He persevered, whether it was in the desert or through all the plagues and the resistance of Pharaoh, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Isn't that a great phrase? He saw him who is invisible. It's a paradox. But my friend, nothing is more certain and nothing is more true than the God who is that we cannot see. And we must live life in light of it. By the way, it says in verse 26 that he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. The stigma of being connected with God's anointed as greater than the treasures of Egypt. So he saw what was fleeting, the treasures and the sin, the pleasure, and he saw what was lasting. For he saw in his own people a hope for the Messiah. That's what he saw. That's what the word Christ means, Messiah. And those people had a promise that God was going to send his own and Messiah, the anointed one, would come And they kept plugging away because they were looking for his coming. They did that in the old covenant. Now the Messiah has come in the new covenant. And we are to live with that hope in our hearts. In spite of all the brutality, they held on to the hope. And they saw 
Jesus. Isn't that what it says in verse 26? Moses saw Jesus? Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, for the Messiah to come, who would be like Moses, but better than Moses. He saw Jesus. Abraham did the same thing. John chapter eight and verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, he said to the Jews. He saw it and was glad. There's something about spiritual sight that gives us the ability to properly decide what is really important. And so the scriptures tell us he saw him who was invisible. He fixed his eyes on the one who was invisible. By the way, the same theme will be picked up in chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, verse two. It's the theme that was introduced to us back in Hebrews chapter three, verse one. Think of Jesus, consider Jesus, look to Jesus. It's the theme that we ought to be experiencing or the theme, the, the focus of our daily life. As Brian was talking about, here's, here's this wonderful testimony of mercy and grace and redemption and restoration. And what does he do? Every day looks to Jesus. How? In the word and prayer. That's what we should be doing. Every day see him. Every day see him. You say it's hard. That's why it takes practice. That's why it takes tuning your spiritual eyesight, disciplining your um, ability to look beyond this world and see what is really there. It means to focus. If you're an outfielder in a baseball game and a fly ball is hit to you, you don't hear the crowd and you block out the sun and your eyes are riveted on that ball. So much so that it's very common for outfielders to collide as they're chasing a ball because they're so fixed on what they want to catch. And wouldn't it be great if every person at South Church was so fixed upon seeing Jesus every day in his word and seeing, talking to Jesus every day through prayer and then walking throughout the day looking for Jesus to show up. That's what Moses tells us we ought to do. Moses saw him in the burning bush. He saw him in the pillar of fire and cloud. He saw him in the cleft of the rock. He saw him on the mountain. It was a voice, it was a cloud, it was a fire, it was the wind, it was the backside but he saw him. In fact, Moses was the one who spoke to God face to face as a person would speak to his friend. And I think that's the normal Christian life. Speak to God day by day as one, face to face, as one speaks to a friend. You say, I'm not worthy. Of course you aren't. Whoever told you you were? What a stupid thought. You're wicked, you're sinful, and so am I. Well, then how can I come into the presence of God? Through Christ. 
who cleanses me from all my sin and covers me with perfect righteousness and now says, you have free access into the throne room. Free access. I'll take advantage of that every day and see Jesus. See him who is invisible and take your marching orders from him. And verse 27 says he persevered. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. There was something he refused. There was something he chose. And there was something he saw. And it made all the difference in his life. Helen Keller, who was blind, made this amazing statement. It is a terrible thing to see and have no vision. And there are a lot of people who see but cannot see. Right? Until your spiritual eyes are open, you cannot see. That's why we've got to be very kind to those who have been captured by the evil one and are held captive under his power until Jesus breaks the chains and lets them see by grace their condition and his offer. But you can love them and you can pray for them. Don't condemn them. Don't ignore them. But you see Jesus and tell them what you see. I'm always frustrated when I'm with people who know something about astronomy and we go out in the night and look at the stars and they see all these constellations. I can barely see the Big Dipper. There's Orion, and there's a lion, and the bear, and Pleiades. What are you talking about? Say a bunch of stars. I've always wanted to say, you know, there's President Grant over there, and you know. <laughs> but just make up a bunch of things so I sounded more intelligent than I am. But I suppose if you study the stars and you had a way of looking at the stars and you became familiar with the stars, you would see what others cannot. And I want to see Jesus every day. Because he's my Savior and Lord. I have nothing but Christ. If he fails me, I'm a goner. But in Christ, I have everything. And faith is believing that God exists, even though I can't see him. And believing that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And quickly to verse 28, because of faith, Moses kept the Passover. Literally, he instituted the Passover, the application of the blood, so that the destroyer, the firstborn, would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Not only did he institute the Passover or keep the Passover, he crossed the sea, verse 29, by faith. He led the people through the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians drowned when they tried to cross. Vance Havner used to say, Moses chose the imperishable because he saw the invisible and therefore he did the impossible. It was D.O. Moody who said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody, his second 40 years realizing he was nobody, and his last 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody.
who sees him and follows him. Spiritual vision leads to good decisions. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we excuse ourselves from such a life because after all, this is Moses or this is Elijah or this is some other great saint that we could never measure up to. Until you show us that all these great saints have their failures and they have a human nature the same as we do. But they learn to walk by faith and not by sight. So open our eyes that we might behold the Lord Jesus Christ in all his power and in all his glory. In his name we pray, amen.